Hello, and welcome to Fun Fact. Our guest today is fact knower Arik Devins. Welcome, Arik. <laughs> I do know some facts. I hear you have a podcast about facts. Is that so? I do. Well, we have an exciting show for you today. After this message from our sponsors. Facts. <laughs> the, the five things you need to know about your facts. Are your kids safe from facts? (laughs) (laughs) Kids are exposed to facts every day. Every day. Do you know how many facts little Jimmy is learning at school right now? I don't like it. (laughs) I can't anymore. My brain only has so much room. Protect our children from factual information. There you go. (laughs) Fun fact. Saving the planet from an asteroid collision can be as simple as delaying the asteroid by seven minutes. Oh, that makes sense intuitively, I'm guessing, because this is like a vector thing, right? It's a vector thing. You got asteroids moving through space, Earth is moving through space, and they're both doing it pretty quickly. But here's the thing about that, Hmm. though. Hmm. I would imagine Hmm. not being an asteroid. They're, They're having no asteroid experience, really. They're moving very fast. Yes. Like... Really fast. I don't know how fast. Maybe you know how well, fast. Well, so Earth uh, is, so for some moves, 30 kilometers per second. And it, it huh. is 12,000 kilometers across. Okay. So that gives you the seven minutes. Oh, yeah. That, that makes sense. But I'm saying that what I'm saying, that makes perfect sense. And that's some nice, nice added numbers there what i'm saying is do we know how fast comets move or asteroids yeah, move, I, my I mean. sense is that uh from when when i was research i was looking at it it definitely varies a lot i think sure. comets go tend to go faster coming from outside the solar system but um the a common the common speeds the astronomical speeds we're seeing with these objects is within an order of magnitude of earth's 30 kilometers per second often wait, hold on. when they're looking at these wait hold on so is the difference between a comet and an asteroid whether or not they come from the solar system or not that's a great question. I don't know. I don't want to just like okay. I thought you just said that. Like, so, okay. chat, no, that's fine. No, um, I know that comets <laughs> typically GPT. come for, or like more often come from outside the solar system, but I don't think that's the definition. I think the definition is about what they're made of. You know what? Uh, I was trying to look it up real quick, and an asteroid, and I started typing, and I just typed Allen. Hmm. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> in your brain just output why. that yes it is uh there's a bunch of attributes that are things an asteroid this says this random nasa oh no okay it is NASA. randos at nasa this, these randos at at the at what i assume is the actual nasa webpage although it yeah it probably is it say that a comet a comet also orbits the sun but unlike an asteroid it's made of ice and dust yeah so that's where you get this comet at trails and that makes sense and then a meteor starts from a meteoroid which is a small piece of asteroid or comet, about pebble-sized, and then when it gets close to the Earth and enters the atmosphere, it's called a meteor. Right. So, so basically, yeah. So, okay. So when we're talking about the giant rock things, that it is easier to train oil rig men to <laughs> learn how to be astronauts than yes. it is to train astronauts how to blow something up. When we're talking about that thing, uh-huh. uh, then that that's what we're talking about. Yeah, and then and the, and okay. I just kind of. Also, while you were doing that, I was doing a quick uh, sanity check on the Googles, uh, the DuckDuckGoes, and um, it seems like <laughs> that my my numbers that I was uh, pulling out of my memory there 
uh, we're correct in it, like 30 kilometers Good per second. Job. It's like a pretty normal speed for an asteroid. You might get 10 kilometers per second. You might get 50 kilometers a second, especially for, uh, you know, comets, which uh, if they're coming from outside the solar system, but that uh, you're in that order of magnitude uh, in terms of... So I think of, Armageddon would have been a very different movie if they'd just been trying to delay the asteroid by seven minutes. We just minutes. didn't need to delay it by seven minutes. No, we got to blow it up. Yeah, no, exactly. It's like a... A little more of a speed vibe, like mm-hmm. this. The planet will be destroyed if this asteroid moves and uh, drops. You know, uh, but like wh- my question for you is thirty. Kilo- the reason I asked how fast is it moving is that thirty kilometers per second seems very fast. It's fairly fast. Yeah. How do you stop something like that for seven minutes? How do you stop it at all? Is it not easier to divert its course or to blow it up? Yeah, so you definitely would want like the the thing you need to do is make it arrive seven minutes earlier or later. And the way you would do that is by uh, diverting its course, uh, right? Like, or, well, you divert its course or you could slow it down or you could speed it up. No, if you divert its course, you don't need, you don't care what time it comes. Yeah, exactly. So how would you slow it up? Oh, how speed it up. That's interesting. Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. So there's just divert its course. Yeah, I guess. So like the, lo- the lateral thing would be divert its course or, yeah, if it, um, because you, you assume, like, typically, just by random chance, probably it's not going to impact the Earth on its current trajectory head on. Like, it'll right. probably be a little bit closer a to glance. being early or late rather than being exactly central. Where totally. It so you actually have less than seven minutes probably that you need to do. Yeah. Seven minutes is like the entire diameter of the Earth. That's the, yeah, that's the whole. Yeah. But if you, if you, <laughs> if you can imagine that if you, you deflected it just barely enough that it just like skims the surface of the ocean and then goes it's off still the other not side, good. there's like probably would be some other consequences. It's still not good. To yeah, all that. Not good. So you probably want it to be like quite out of the atmosphere and not just like then be pulled in like, a extremely rapid gravitational <laughs> whip around the earth and yeah. send it winging in who knows that's how direction. superman travels through time yes I'm pretty sure, so, so you want to be, watch out for that so you would want to give it a, maybe a little bit of buffer space but you you yes can deflect it in either direction but the the point and the kind of the fun fact that i had never really thought of before is that speeding it up or slowing it down can also uh make it miss the earth Right. So what I'm asking is, how would you speed it up or slow it down? Are there any theories about this? Did you look that up? Yeah, there's a bunch of, of theories about this. One of the things that's sort of challenging with all of the, like, savers from an asteroid stuff is that... Mm. Um, you don't get a lot of practice. You don't get a lot of practice. Well, actually, interestingly, uh, last year, NASA ran, ran a mission called DART that practiced moving an asteroid uh, by moving an asteroid's moon. So you can imagine how small a uh, mm. scale de- demonstration this was. But they mm. moved an asteroid's moon enough to change its orbit by 32 minutes. Wow. Well, that's way more than we need. That's way more than we need if you do it early enough in the cycle. And so that's one of the things with this this um, piece set of technologies, where, which is the, oh, well, maybe we slow it down or speed it up um, to make it miss. Uh, those are particularly useful the further that you can get out. Like if you can notice years in advance that this thing is coming mm. and you can get a probe out there and or whatever it is that's going to do the moving, if you can get it out, out that distance and then be doing like there's some of these like uh, ion engines or, or things like there's like technologies that have this property where they can put out like a relatively low amount of thrust, like less than a a rocket engine could, but they can do it like continuously for very long Mm. periods of time. Mm -hmm. And so if you can go and get one of those out there and maybe it's even solar powered or whatever, of course all the science fiction writers are always thinking about ways that earth can be put into danger and then ways the scientists can save it. Um, And then (laughs) it's a common theory or thing that people will do sort of papers on and and things like that. Um, But that 
if you can get a way out ahead of it, especially like if you know that it's it's um, not going to be here for quite some time, then that improves your ability to sort of use get enough thrust as opposed to my sense that I got was that if it's uh, we're running shorter on time, then they're more likely to do the current like kind of science default like. Uh, if Armageddon, the movie, was to happen, like, what would they actually do? Because they're like, um, you know, they kind of have to use this technology we have today, which is basically just use the biggest rockets that humanity has and maybe try to make one or two extra ones and then just fly up as much um, uh, nuclear weapons and nuclear explosives <laughs> as we possibly can. And we just put it in a giant pile. We do not need any uh, uh, cowboys to uh, to detonate no. them on the surface, you know, on account of like remote control having yeah, been invented. Every, everything. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we basically just like blow as much uh, um, nuclear impact on the calculated correct side or location of the asteroid um, as uh, as we have. And it seems that like, the sense I get is that part of why there isn't a ton of research done into like asteroid redirection and the technology and all these kind of things is a it's like really, really rare for like a, a species risking asteroid to come like, you know, n- not in the order of like, oh, it's rare for earthquakes to happen. So like, you know, most of the time people underinvest in infrastructure. It's like many, many millions of years, probably. And so mm-hmm. it's like relatively low uh, sort of expected value to to mm-hmm. put that much work into it a is that's one reason why there doesn't seem to be a lot of research um, b is that um people apparently there's an ongoing debate about like if we develop technology to save earth from asteroids have we accidentally created the technology to make earth purposely get hit by an asteroid by like an evil like mad scientist you know what i mean huh okay because it's yeah. basically the same stuff like if you can deflect it towards yeah yeah, yeah. Right? push it back we'll and tug then a war a philosophical debates and ethics debates about that the sense i got is that it was a little bit of like why would you do that <laughs> like there's a lot of work <laughs> what people would notice you trying to do this like there, there's a lot of uh scientists that feel like that's a bit of just kind of uh science fiction writers worrying rather than something that would actually in fact happen but it is a concern but the the biggest one seems to be that for the most common types of asteroids that would potentially threaten earth um that it seems like there's a general consensus that we would be able to get our shit together enough to put a whole bunch of nuclear bombs on the biggest rockets that we have you know spacex's starship and the sls uh, launch thing that they that they um, NASA launched just this year and, and, and just get the nukes out there and we'll probably be fine. <laughs> okay. I have two things to say. First of all, I want everyone out there in uh, fun factor nation. I don't know the factors. I want all of you factors out there to know that Alan told me that he did not go very deep on this fact. <laughs> and that is demonstrably false. <laughs> and then the second thing that I want to say, I can is read about bl- this for like a day days. Yeah. Like, yeah, of course. You, you blew my mind twice in this fact. So first of all, I never thought about, even though it was immediately obvious, I never thought about slowing or down or speeding up an asteroid mm. as a way to change its trajectory. That's brilliant. But the second thing that I never thought of that you just completely, I was just like, oh, of course, solar solar paneled, like solar powered things must be very good in outer space. Uh, Yeah, <laughs> they're like kind of maximally good. I just never, just never thought about that. Like, why would you ever power anything with anything but solar power in outer space? It's like, I mean, you know, assuming that you have panels that are efficient enough and, you know, or capable of like enough batteries and stuff like that. Like there's, it's just infinite solar energy, free solar energy. Yeah. I mean, there's a, like, not to like get too far off of my, we've learned over the years to try and (laughs) not venture too far from our research, but my sense, I, I have a bit of an understanding of why you don't, 
use solar power for everything in space. Um, and my sense is that you solar power is really great for a really long running, low need energy requirement. Sure. Right. So like keep the space stations, uh, air scrubbers running and or whatever. Uh, yeah. Like it's just kind of constantly using the same amount. And well, it's always drawing. It's always so you don't drawing, have to store it. Right. And what uh, solar power is not particularly useful for, uh, or at least way harder to make a good use of, is the, okay, the spaceship is just like slowly approaching Mars for a long time, and then suddenly it's going to have to reduce its speed rapidly so it doesn't impact the surface. Right, but imagine that we had the, the we're so off topic now, but imagine <laughs> we had the, the like massive advance in battery technology that we've been waiting for for so many decades. Mm-hmm. And we had a battery capable of storing just a, just a tremendous amount of, of power in a, in a much smaller size. Then in that scenario you mentioned, you could have that on there and be charging up the whole time. And when you got there, have all this power you needed. Yeah, it's like a Dragon Ball sort of thing. Charging, yeah, totally. Charging yeah. Um, or just in general, like whatever power bank you were powering your starship by, you could just, you know keep chart you know you you would have enough space to hold enough that the sun you know could potentially be be recharging it yeah i think that the two main challenges there and like this feels like to me like interesting enough i want to go off and research it and make it a future fact um, yeah, but, bring it back yeah i'll bring this one back but i think that the the big challenge is going to be like okay so but the battery would need to be like 75 percent of the weight of the ship and now no, getting the ship into I'm space saying. at all no, this is what i'm saying it we're ta- we're presupposing some like massive advances in battery technology, which they've been talking about forever. At some point, it's not just going to be these lithium ion batteries that we have to have like a 5,000 pound truck. Like at some point it's going to be a 500 pound truck, right? On an infinite time scale. Yeah. I'm not entirely convinced that that's true, but I'm going to come back on this one. Okay. Well, let's leave it there. Was there more you wanted to say about asteroids? I think I got the main points about the asteroid. That's just, All that, right. uh, you know, well, it's they don't have the Armageddon chips ready with the Cowboys already <laughs> preloaded on them. But there's some good options available to us as a species, even at our current technology level, that could be quite helpful. In the case it's going to be history. okay, I think is what you're saying. To it's going to be okay. Yeah, that's my personal guarantee. If we're, and if <laughs> if we end up doomed, you can cash in on that. You can you can everyone write to Alan. <laughs> Alan, what the heck? At hello at fanfact.fm. All right, so. Are you ready for this? I am so ready. All right. Fun fact. Jack Black mm. is not actually from a blacksmithing family. He's not from a blacksmithing family. No. Instead, he's from an Apollo 13 saving aerospace engineering family. I have heard this before and is one of my favorite facts. And Listen, I just want to point out that I came with a space fact after your space fact. Yes, we are spacing it up. Yeah, so this 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 synergy we've got going lately, this linkativity, this connectitude, That's what they call is it. really really something to watch. I hope you people out there know this. This is not easy. We make it look easy. It's not easy. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's pretty, working together for years. It's pretty easy because it's just complete it's just random, random chance. chance yeah. but, <laughs> so uh, this fact, the longtime listeners may re- remember that this fact comes from an incredible, incre- like top not top tier. Totally not throwaway, absolutely life-changing joke that I told <laughs> in the November 2022 episode of this show, which was entitled A Heaving Mass of People. And you were telling us a fact about the various types of smithing. Mm-hmm. And we were also getting in a little bit to the history of last names. Yes. And I mentioned that Jack Black was from a prominent blacksmith family. Presumably on account of his name. 
Yeah, yeah. By the way, I found out what episode that was using Mac Whisper, which is really awesome Mac for doing this. Oh, That's yeah. the thing that like uses the open AI like voice text to speech thing. Yeah. We for another show that I've started doing recently, we're doing transcriptions for for all of it and actually editing them to be accurate, which makes Yeah, you should you should try Mac but, Whisper. Yeah, this uh AI based I mean I think that the service that we use is uses probably uses machine learning is like the first step just because that's a lot that cheaper yeah. but i'd be curious how it would compare to uh to it was pretty good i mean it's not perfect but it was pretty good and it let me figure out which episode it was nice. so anyway friend of the show casey Liss uh pointed out to me after that episode aired as they say in the biz some information that just busted the case wide open mm, on jack black's ancestry. on jack black's ancestry and where he got his powers yeah as it turns out that as i said in the in the opening famous hollywood funny man actor jack black as far as I know, having not done any, you know, Henry Gates-style genealogy reports, is not from a blacksmith family. But his mother, Judith Love Cohen, helped to invent the abort guidance system that guided Apollo 13 back to Earth. Like, the thing that, like, is the main factor in the movie starring another non-smith, again, mm. as far as I know, Tom Hanks. Like, when Apollo 13 fails, like, when the stuff fails on that in the movie, and they're like getting guided back to earth that's the thing his mother made which is maximal legit that's yeah that could it could not be more legit so i I was like so fascinated by this i went a little deeper into her resume Mm. and that's like that's like one of the cool things she did i just knew about that one tell me more. yeah so so his mother incredibly impressive so at 19 she was studying math and science at brooklyn college while simultaneously performing ballet in the Metropolitan Opera Ballet Company. Wow. So this, like, dual-threat dancer-scientist woman also did the Apollo 13 thing. Anyway, eventually she moved to California to work at a major aviation company during the day and attend USC at night to get her bachelor's in science and master's at USC. Wow. And by the way, as a depressing aside, she said that in the entire time she was at school, she never met another female student. Wow. Which... I hope is no longer the case in uh, I, well, I believe is no longer the case in the, these fields. Yeah, at least not anyway, that extreme anymore. She she spent most of her career at a company called Space Technology Laboratories, which is a really cool name for a company. It eventually became a company called TRW, and then I think they were eventually acquired by Northrop Grumman or something. Anyway, tell me more about the acquisition history. <laughs> let's, get, let's get deep into that part. No, but she she did the guidance systems for the Minuteman missile. Oh. She did the Apollo Lunar Module guidance system that I mentioned. She, at the end of her career, she was running systems engineering for the Hubble Space Telescope. Wow. And then when she retired in 1990, she decided to write a series of books encouraging women to become scientists and engineers and another series to promote good environmental practices in young children. So two series of kids books that were very successful that she started her own publishing company to publish. Wow. And and I have absolutely no uh, like backup for this, but her son claims that she pioneered the idea of posting internal job openings and having formal job descriptions in companies, oh. and that those were both massive improvements for uh, diversity initiatives. Wow! And up on top of all of that, she apparently like was such a, so committed to her work, and this is a little bit like you know hashtag work culture stuff that i'm a little uncomfortable with but apparently she went into the office the entire time she was pregnant with jack black including the day she went into labor yeah i heard a thing that you they, they were like asking her questions on the phone about 
like well, I, no space. i don't think that i don't think that's true but apparently she brought a printout of the problem she was working on to the hospital wow and at the end of the day called her boss to tell him that she had solved the problem oh and oh by the way had given birth to her fourth child to jack black yeah to jack black yeah. i mean it's incredible it's it's unreal and and as an aside all i learned most of this from an, an obituary that was written when she when she passed away mm. a few years ago and the obituary was written by jack black's half brother a man named neil siegel okay who is a computer scientist and musician who is the earliest documented creator of a complete wireless routed internet device. Oh, okay. And basically like helped invent Wi-Fi hmm. as well as like mobile GPS and like automatic map orientation, like all this other extremely important like CS stuff, all while performing multiple instruments, 1,500 concerts across the world. So Jack Black just got the performance genes. Well, I don't know how, what his science skills are. Well, everybody else in his family. But it seems like, yeah. Dual brother, Yeah. Wow. His brother's a musician. His mother's a, a ballet dancer. I mean, he's done all right, Jack Black. But I mean, you know, yeah. I think he's like, it turns out he's the a least impressive. <laughs> yeah. He's the least impressive person in his family. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, I, so, I love that. You know. Yeah. Except that there's a, a thing, I guess, that if I had um deeper liberal arts education and not just like a grab bag of one-off 100-level courses, I would have better terminology <laughs> to describe this tendency in history and the stories that we tell to talk about individuals' achievements and okay. want to tell and share and appreciate the stories of individuals like her that have accomplished something surprising and, and remarkable. And yeah. I, I, I've kind of come full circle on that. Like, yeah, everybody sort of instinctually does that. And then I, like, enough times had read things or I'd had people push back on the uh, the downsides that can happen if you'd like oh well you know what's the uh what's the story of of this company it's like oh well steve jobs built apple by his own two hands and like, his two programmed hands. all of the computers and made yeah. all of the 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 designs right and then it's like uh th- that kind of thinking ca- can cause a whole, a whole lot of problems and so i i adopted this mentality of like like to not try to I guess like lionize people or or talk about like how, how this person is so amazing and really like like go over the top with like uh celebrating an individual because of course we're all complicated and I'm sure many people were involved in those accomplishments uh, but I've now come back around again to the <laughs> if you if you, as long as you have a baseline understanding that the way big things and important things get done is and everybody's life including hers I'm sure um, involves the support of many other people that it's still a worthwhile exercise to celebrate people for the things that we enjoy and appreciate that they did and cl- even if that means telling a story that leaves out like oh yeah may- maybe she like <laughs> sucked at th- this thing or that thing maybe <laughs> she couldn't keep it tune or something like that you know what i mean but like but yeah like, it's, i feel like there's still a lot of value in sharing the stories of heroes totally I mean, I think that it, you know, it, first of all, I, I hope that uh, everyone out there noticed that I tried very hard to mention that she helped invent things and worked on things and ran groups of people that did things, you know, because I completely agree with you. Like we, the sort of uh, it's sexist, but the great man mm. view of, of history is, I, in my opinion, an extremely like limiting way to study history. I also feel, here's what I'm hearing from what you're saying, like, the way I think about it is when you're talking about like how you tell history, there's like kind of many different styles of that. But two of the prominent ones are like the great man theory, which is like some incredible person who is just better than you did X. Right. Yeah. And then there's the opposing sort of pendulum swing to that, which is that no one mm-hmm. achieved anything. <laughs> yeah. Everything is purely like 
you know, complex system systeming and it, it just it was revolution time, you know, or whatever. The right precursors were present and that if it hadn't been Henry Ford, then like it 30 seconds later, it would have some been some other person guy. who do, we know nobody would know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And over time, I've come to sounds like the same place you have, which is the middle view, mm. which is that, yeah, of course, you had to have all these prerequisites. Of course, everything had to line up. But also someone did it mm. and it matters who did it, even if someone else theoretically could have done it. They didn't do it. Yeah. This person did it. And, we, and the way it was done is going to be different because of who did it. We've touched before on path dependence, which is a thing that they talk about in history sometimes, which is this idea that there's some things that just kind of naturally will happen. And that like, you know, probably regardless of whether or not uh, like once we had uh, combustion and we had the fuel and we had the manufacturing technology, the internal combustion engines would have eventually come about. We wouldn't have gotten hundreds and hundreds of years and nobody's yeah. like, hmm, should we have an internal combustion engine? Like right. somebody would have figured that out because there's there's enough uh, reason to <laughs> to try and do it. Right. Um, but uh, there's some things that are very path dependent. And like we talked, we joked about, about ASCII, right, which is the right. way we encode all of our letters and numbers where that whoever made ASCII the way it is. Um, had an indelible and extremely long-running impact on the way things are because it was an arbitrary set of relatively arbitrary set of choices that were made for whatever reason or like the person who named the months on the calendar and so we now have these things and then they kind of stick around regardless or like what is the gauge on railway uh how far apart is the the railway tracks because like changing that is really difficult and it's like kind of arbitrary and it's sort of fine the way it is and so it stays that way for a really long time that's often where the impact of the of individual stories is more persistent than the like do we have computers or not it's like we probably would have figured out computers eventually yeah, the other the other thing is that like you know it it and without at the risk of sounding like a, a overly pro America here, um, you know one of the things I find fascinating about the American Revolution is that it, historically speaking, typically in a revolutionary period, there does tend to be one sort of charismatic figure or or small group, but usually one. That sort of ends up being the locus around which the revolution sort of revolves. Yeah, it does. It isn't necessarily the person who started it, and it kind of can happen in lots of different ways. But there tends to be someone, and for the American Revolution, it's very clearly George Washington. Yeah, and what I find fascinating about George Washington is that he's one of the extremely short list of like people who successfully was the focus of a revolution who it gave up that power. Yes, w- willingly and voluntarily. I mean, you really have to go like it's like roman emperor diocletian and then you know george washington and it's like almost always in that situation the person you move into a dictator phase and so the fact that george washington just set this precedent and walked away regardless of all his other flaws and everything bad about america and all that fine but like this particular thing is so fascinating and it's like if it had been some other person they probably wouldn't have done that yeah, you would more likely to have had a, a history more like France, where you go, you have a revolution, and then there's a bunch of bad stuff happening, and then there's another yeah, revolution, and then you have, and have to have another revolution, stuff, and then eventually, and then you, you have to have another revolution. You eventually sort of blunder your way to it, yeah. but the the way that it went here was 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 shocking, and it's because of one person, and every, that person was a product of every system and every choice, you know. So it's 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 all together. At any rate, we we on fun fact, I'm going to speak for you. We think that Jack Black's mom, Judith Love Cohen was a very impressive person, regardless of all of the other people who helped her become that and everything else that happened. Yeah, because all those other people suck compared to her, and she basically yeah. did it all. <laughs> so. We salute you, Judith Cohen. We salute you. I also have a fact. No. It's not space fact. 
Okay. But I have another fact that's in the in the sciencey realm. Um, okay, let's keep this science rolling. It's kind of the vibe of the episode. Yeah. Fun fact: Whenever you shuffle a deck of cards, I've done that. Have you done that? I've done yeah. it too. And when we did that, that was the first time that that any deck of cards has ever been in that order, and it's not even close. What? Like the number of potential orders for how many ways a deck can be in ordered. a fifty-two it's deck 52 of cards. Okay. Seems like fifty-two is not a lot. Not that many, right? But it gets pretty big pretty quick. Yeah, because imagine it's like okay, well, in every time you construct an order for the deck, okay. you uh, you put down one card. So you're, okay, I'm going to fix the first one is going to be the three of clubs. Yeah. Uh, so so of, of the fifty-two cards, and now you have fifty-one more cards. Right, and then yeah. you you put it down, you pin that second one down, and then you have fifty, and so right. you basically get fifty two times fifty one times fifty. That's fifty two yeah. factorial, yeah, yeah, yeah which yeah. is a sixty eight digit number of potential <laughs> combinations. <laughs> right. Okay, but here's the thing: I don't want to listen. This is cool, <laughs> but I just want to point out. Maybe maybe you're going to cover this. Maybe this is maybe I'm wrong, but you know. We're talking probability here, right? Because if you, because probability will tell you that if you flip a coin a hundred times, a heads or tails coin, it will land on each side half the time. Yeah. Right. But in fact, you can flip a coin and have it land on one side a hundred times in a row. Yeah. Absolutely. So when, when you when you say that it is the first time the cards have ever been in that position, that's clearly not true. Um. Give me give me like sixty seconds, and I want to calculate. What the chance of how many times of coin flipping in a row? <laughs> well, it, it doesn't matter because it's a bad example. I, I My point is that something that can only happen, something that has a one in 68 digit number probability of happening can happen twice in a row. Well, I mean, this is a philosophical question that you could like do a, a PhD on probably, which is this idea of can something become so unlikely that you basically just say it can't happen. Like the difference in between zero point nine 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 repeating and 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 one is yeah right? yeah. I, I I see your point. I'm being I suppose more pedantic than I was intending to be. Well, no, but My, it is an interesting like it's an interesting aside that maybe people have not thought about is like there's a lot of things that we say are impossible and we yeah. act as if they're impossible and it makes sense to act as if they're impossible and it would be fairly ridiculous to not just think of them and treat them as impossible. But like. It could happen. But also, how many times has a deck of cards been shuffled? Um, well, let's, like, we could, like, it probably in the, it's a 68-digit number. So the number yeah. of times that a, a, a deck has been shuffled is probably, like, a 20-digit number of times. So, so not even within, like, thousands of orders of magnitude. <laughs> <laughs> right? Okay. All or, right. No, not 68. Or I should say within 60 orders of magnitude. Yeah, but something. I just, I don't know. For me, it's just, like... If yeah, this is so nitpicky, and I I can hear people being like, "Come on, dude, what the hell?" But I, my point is just that if you had said it's very unlikely or unfathomably unlikely, like it's or unfathomably like like it's almost certainly true that it's never been in this order before. I just impossible to me is like no, but something that has a one in sixty eight, whatever that is, chance of happening can happen. Like that can happen. Yeah, I just think that um, 
that mentality, like uh, maybe uh, that's maybe that's a fun fact, but I don't know if <laughs> I going back everything off and coming, that's happening do, right now, bringing back you hate your myself. philosophical research about like how people consider extremes of probability and like debates around that, it probably would not make for a fun fact. It would probably no. be like pedantic fact. It's often argued that at this boundary of probability, blah, blah, blah. yeah, but actually, but like yeah, it's a very but actually. My response fact. to that is just that like. Yes, you are correct. And programming teaches your brain to think that, like, no, 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 but it is possible, and we need to account for it. Especially if no, we don't need to account that, for like, it. Hundreds of millions of people use. We don't need to account for it. We definitely don't. But there is a point where it, it becomes very silly to treat a thing that is so unlikely. You know, like the 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 Earth could just suddenly implode into a black hole. Band, yeah 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 defined, for sure okay all physics that we've ever measured or anything yeah. we've ever observed but like it's possible maybe i just don't realize how big a 68 digit number is maybe that's the problem yeah here. yeah so it's like okay make a little, maybe a little bit of context would be useful so um a, the number of atoms on earth is a 50 digit number <laughs> Right. so it's 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 10 more digits not 10 times as much but like 10 orders of magnitude more than the number of atoms on the entire earth number of times you would need to to reshuffle the deck okay in order to have one duplicate okay but all well, i'm on saying it to is, expect one duplicate all, all yes that's thank you all i'm saying is yes to expect one duplicate no right unbelievably like ridiculous right but it could happen that you shuffle the cards and look at it and then shuffle the cards immediately after and look at it and you get the same one twice um like that could happen just in the way that the earth could just get spontaneously stuck and in, sucked into a black hole no based on i don't no think it's the same no mentioned. no i don't think i don't think it's the same because what i'm saying is that like every single moment of you i mean i guess it's the same in some sense but like everything you're doing when you're shuffling the cards is affecting the probability that the is affecting the order of the cards right yeah and all of that could produce the same thing twice because each of those is a like each of those choices is independent of each other yeah, but if so the, the odds again, the odds of all those choices lining up in exactly the same way twice are unfathomably unlikely. And but like I, I guess my that. point is like it's maybe not intuitive. We're so this is so pointless. It's maybe not intuitive, but yeah. like because there's so many outcomes and it's so yeah. unlikely to happen, yeah. even though it's very easy to imagine it happening, yeah. it is substantially like way, way, way more ridiculous to to consider it. Or, like, if someone told you that happened and that it was like, no, no, it's really been shuffled properly and they're not effing around or whatever, like, yeah. you would kind of just have to never believe that because it's it would be like someone saying, like, oh, actually, I'm not Alan Pike. I'm just a complete clone that has literally every single genetic attribute that just coincidentally happened to be beamed in here from outer space. <laughs> and But, like, well, I, okay. don't, no, I don't want to have any of his debts or any of the things that, yeah, you, you can't what? put me in jail. I'm not. <laughs> it's, an incredible le- it's an incredible legal argument. Right? But, like, but, that is possible yeah well uh, okay but let me ask let me ask let me ask a question and make a statement so my question is uh, are there is there are there is is the fact that there's a whatever 68 digit number number of combinations the same thing as saying that there is a one in 68 whatever digit number chance in each of them happening no because i like it seemed that 
Probably not, right? It's it's not distributed evenly. Yeah, because your shuffling is not going to be perfect. Like it's it, yeah, with a perfect shuffling machine, with a perfect sure. shuffling machine, then it would be a sixty-eight. So this is number. why I'm with saying with a human being, it's it maybe maybe you make it like let's say you sh- you shuffle so poorly, you make it ten thousand times more likely to have the same outcome, or even ten billion times more likely <laughs> right it would it's still, still just be astronomically not even close <laughs> okay my second statement my second thing was the statement do you remember the episode we did I, I i'm sorry to the factors out there i don't know what episode this was but where i told you the monty hall problem yes the unintuitive that is the last time yes. i think we've had one of us push back on the other <laughs> to this extent and it was the other way yeah. around right <laughs> like i i'm gonna have to go off and think about this i just I feel like I'm not arguing with you about the probability. I just am. I think we're we're disconnected from each other a little bit on like. I guess I, I'm not incredibly unfathomably unlikely things happen, right? Like the 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 odds of Earth being the only planet that pro- produced life, right? Ha- was this insane collection of inc- as far as we know, incredibly unlikely things that happened. Yeah. Right? So. Now, I don't know if that probability was less or more than this deck thing, uh, but I just like the idea that it would happen twice in a row seems very possible to me, if unfathomably unlikely. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I mean, I think just by, by common sense, probably the earth forming is more likely than the deck thing because there's more uh, possible shuffles of a deck of cards than there are planets in the universe by, by far. Wait, 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 hold on. There's more combinations of decks of cards than there are planets in the universe? Yeah. Well, the number of atoms on Earth is 10 to the 50. So, like, the right. number of atoms on Earth doesn't even come up. And, like, the apparently the number of estimated atoms in the entire universe is only 10 to the 80. Good God. Okay, I'm getting a better sense now of... <laughs> This what is a really is. unlikely arc. I'm trying to tell you, and you just won't believe me. No, I just don't. I this is the problem. You know, I I would say I'm not particularly enumerate. Mm. Um, like I fairly got fairly good with large numbers, but I think we've we've gotten to a number so large that I just have no frame of reference. It, yeah, no, I totally empathize with that. Like, and I'm to be yeah. clear, I'm not great at either. I require like other uh sources and things to be like okay all the scientists seem to really agree this is ridiculously large but like yeah i don't know 10 to the 68 like whatever that i guess well, this is big, like but like it's like where you fold a piece of paper some number of times and it's like bigger than the universe right yeah. it's not that many times it's like 28 yeah. times you know i'm wrong on all of those details but you get the point what i'm making so it's it, you this stuff like the very small and the very big i mean that's why you know these people are very impressive who study this stuff but okay so th- Wow. All right. So, okay. I guess uh, I'm just going to have to, you know, fix the deck. Yeah. I mean, that's why if somebody <laughs> shuffles the deck a second time, it comes out the same way, then uh, you should be able to. You suspicious. would assume yeah. that there was a lot of cheating. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. All right. Well, okay. That went to an interesting place. So, I. Uh, I so, this if is you not agree a... or disagree. Yeah. Write in and let us know. Write in. I, I'm, I'm going to be thinking about this for a while. Hello at Fun Fact FM. But. Even better, we have a Mastodon account now. Oh, right. Yeah. Fun fact FM at hackyderm.io. Yeah. Which is one of the popular the best IO. nerdy Mastodon instances, if you are into that kind of thing. Yeah. So I I want to talk about 
something that didn't make it to be a fact, but it's something that we talked about last time that I, it's a little bit of follow up, almost a fact, not quite. Okay. Definitely not a fact, actually. I, I have a, I have a question for you. So what's that? Alan was wrong. No, Alan was not wrong. No, no, not that this would time. be fun. No, no, <laughs> yeah, not this time. So like, I believe on the last episode, I mentioned the idea that the Who Framed Roger Rabbit film has as, as part of its plot an actual thing that happened. Yeah, this is uh, ep- our episode 65, Let's All Do Crime, which is one of my favorite titles yeah. in a while. Yeah, it's I was a, a little surprised title. to hear that, but like, tell me more about the true story behind Let's... Uh, the true story behind Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Well, so the movie Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which is from like 1988 and I haven't seen in a very, very long time, but I really enjoyed it as a kid. Although, you know, probably wasn't appropriate to watch. But yeah. anyway. Uh, <laughs> it was the 80s. <laughs> part of the story of that movie is that the the bad guy um, basically says that he bought up Toontown, where all the tunes live, so that he could replace it with gas stations and inexpensive motels and fast food joints. Mm-hmm. And uh, Roger Rabbit says, why would any, that's not going to work. Why, why would anyone go there? And he said, oh, they just take the 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 trolley car, the street car. And he said, I bought the street car so I could dismantle it. Mm. And it is referencing an actual thing that happened. And so then I was like, okay, well, I'm going to go off and do this as a fact. And tell you all the true story. Because I said on the episode, this is not a conspiracy. This is like a real thing that happened. Like, they got in trouble for this, right? Mm -hmm. And specifically General Motors is who got in trouble. And so I went off to uh, do the research for the facts. And I ended up on a uh, link that I'll put in the show notes on Curbed that says, Did a conspiracy really destroy LA's huge streetcar system? Mm. And then they said, No, it didn't. This is There's an amazing paper about this an amazing essay from Portland state university in 1998 debunking it. It's complete nonsense. And you know, um, it, this is all just, a, a people's wanting to believe, you know, conspiracies and this and that. So then I was like, okay, I'm, I guess that sucks for me. Cause I, you know, I bought into this, this thing that's not true or whatever. And then I started reading this paper and then I was like, wait a second. I think this still sort of, meets the characteristics of what i thought it was mm, okay which is that so um so general motors got in trouble uh, among other companies there's something called the general motors streetcar conspiracy and they got in trouble it was a violation of the sherman antitrust act that was a that and they were convicted uh, along with uh, some other related companies in uh, their ownership of a company called national city lines which which bought up all these different streetcar systems and and transit systems across the country okay and conspired to um monopolize or like it monopolize the sale of of buses Mm. so they they were convicted in 1949 of conspiracy to monopolize interstate commerce and the sale of buses fuel and supplies to their subsidiaries they were acquitted of conspiring to monopolize the transit industry so, okay, so that says, okay, well, so it wasn't a thing. It's not a real conspiracy, right? No, but, but they, monopolizing the transit industry isn't what you accused them of. Right, exactly. So what they did was that they, so General Motors and Firestone Tire and Standard Oil of California uh, and Phillips Petroleum and Mack Trucks. So like big all these fans of electrified streetcar it, transit. Exactly. 
they they started this company, National City Lines, and some subsidiaries as well. I'm not going to get too deep into the weeds here. And they got control of transit systems in about 25 cities. And in almost every case, they replaced streetcars to buses. Right. Now, did they do it as a conspiracy to sell more cars and buses? Yes, kind of. But not in the way, not like, the way that the conspiracy theorists, I guess, tend to talk about this is like, they destroyed the streetcars, right? Which isn't really true. Basically, streetcar ridership in the U.S. was on massive freefall every year from... I don't know when, sometime in like the 20s until until the 50s, except during World War II. Hmm. But all the rest of the time, it was it was just not working well. And uh, streetcars were also struggling to support sort of low density yeah, suburbs, suburbs and things like that. Uh, they weren't a good fit for great fit for streetcars. And so those lines tended to be bus oriented anyway, because the buses could support them. So what I'm saying is that the streetcar was already in decline for various reasons, economic, social, and political factors. The government put a ton of money into the funding of um, interstate highways, and there were all these problems. But what I would say is that GM and all these companies took massive advantage of the fact that the that the streetcars were in decline by buying up all of these systems right. and replacing them with their buses. Right. So they could have bought them up and replaced them with streetcars. And in fact, there were new streetcar types that would work in those scenarios that were better in various ways that were useful for uh, – that could have replaced the streetcars that were being used. Um, either like the kind that have like the overhead wires that now you do see in places or like – I forget what the other one was, but there were like basically there were there were options on the streetcar side that could have worked, but they didn't consider those. They just went with buses in almost every case. Yeah, which is their so, their strategy. It wasn't necessarily like some secret thing that's like nobody knows who this mysterious National City Lines is. It was just like yeah, these oil and car companies are like yeah, we think the future of all this is cars, so we're going to come in and use our capital and our strategy to bring that about in the way that capitalism yeah does. we're gonna take advantage of this opportunity yeah. to do the thing we want to do yeah which i feel like is still basically what you said <laughs> it's basically what i said yeah. right like so I, I feel like to say oh conspiracy theory it's like no okay it wasn't a necessarily a conspiracy but it, it was just a thing that they did <laughs> like you know because they could yeah i think we we have a very different reaction to the the term conspiracy theory today than or the word conspiracy than in previous generations because yeah. like for like the original sense is just like multiple parties or groups work together in a way that is kept from others and provides some benefit right and so like there's been conspiracies conspiracies in the like sort of simple literal way that become known and become part of history for years and then there's like now more recently this this like mindset of like oh the everything everywhere you look there's conspiracies and conspiracies are actually like the way that everything gets done which is yeah. what a lot of people mean when they say conspiracy or conspiracy theory as opposed to just like yeah it is well known that these companies conspired together to bring about an outcome for their shareholders and then they bragged about it or whatever, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and then they got in trouble for it but yeah by the way the the third the streetcar alternative that i couldn't think of was the PCC car, the Electric Electric Railway President's Conference Committee car, which was like this apparently spacious, comfortable, light, and 
fast electric streetcar. I love it. Yeah. So, I mean, for me, the reason I care about any of this beyond the fact that it's really funny that a major, um, kind of not actually a major plot point, but a plot point in Who Framed Roger Rabbit was actually a reference to like a real, like, you know, uh, like violation of the Sherman Antitrust Act. But also it's that I think streetcars are much nicer than buses. And it's really sad that most cities lost their streetcars. Streetcars were fun. The, and um, buses are not fun. There's nothing fun about a bus. A lot. I think this probably come up on the show, but a lot of the bus routes here in Vancouver are on these overhead electric wires, and so they're electric. Yeah. and that's been true for many years. Same in Seattle. Um, partially, I think, uh, because of the hydro power we have here is like cheap and, and clean, and so we get some of the benefits of the streetcars, like they can go up hills more easily and stuff. Uh, with our, our but they're not buses. whimsical and fun. Um, they're just buses. I don't know. I. It's kind of. Ni- it's definitely nicer being on the. Well, the trolleys, the downside of the trolleys, the ones that go on the on the wires, is that they do sometimes get bonked off the nut wires, and then the operator has to go out and like fix the wires. So that's the yeah, that happened to me one time. <laughs> I was at the very, very, very back of one of those two bus buses with the accordion in the yeah. middle, and that happened. And I was sitting in the middle seat at the very back, and I flew through the air to the very middle of the bus. What? Yeah. Like, because the bus stopped so abruptly? Because the bus stopped so abruptly. Oh, that's surprising. Um, it, well, the thing fell off and it just stopped. The buses here, here the, maybe that was a previous generation bus, but the buses that we have this here. This was in the 90s. Yeah, right, probably. Uh, the, uh, that's probably why. The buses that we have here have, like, enough onboard battery storage that they can go, like, uh, I don't know, uh, 50 feet or something like that. Yeah. And so if, like, the, there's a obstructed uh, um, intersection or something like that, then they can get around it. See, this proves my point about battery, battery, this proves my point about battery storage that, you know, 20 years ago, they had zero storage. So solar power coming to a space craft. Yeah. So if there's enough, you. if there's enough storage to move a bus 20 meters, then, then clearly it's rocket ships <laughs> battery themselves to the moon. That's right. Uh-huh, that's how it works. 